Welcome to Kashrus on the Air, your weekly radio show dealing with kosher issues for the kosher consumer. And I'm your host, Rabbi Yosef Wickler. And tonight, tonight we're going to be talking together and we'll answer a lot of your questions. We have a few topics we're going to take up. The first topic is a continuation of what we did last week. Last week we had a very special program. It was together with Rabbi Moshe Vaya, who is an expert in the field of kashrus, especially with insect infestation. And uh, he was in here in the United States for one week only, and he appeared in many places in the course of that week. He was up at the OU. He was in Lakewood. He was giving a shear for ladies in Lakewood. And he appeared in uh, Stolen Base Medrash and many other places, packed in the time. In the course of a week, many people were, were able to hear him. Uh, and we were the first ones, I believe. Then we had him on the show. We discussed a lot of different fruits and vegetables and the current status with all of them. The main point that I'm trying to lead up to is something that I wish we wouldn't be talking about because it's very difficult for me to discuss. And that is the topic of the orange juice. Last week we mentioned, I mean, I didn't mention it, Rabbi Vaya said that orange juice is a problem and that uh, there are insects which we call scale. Scale is a little insect, tiny insect. In fact, they're only a half Sorry, a quarter to a third of a millimeter long. That's very tiny, visible, but tiny. And these little uh, insects attach themselves to the outside of an orange or some other fruits. And what they do is they build around themselves. like uh, They're buried under what they place around themselves. And they die on the fruit, and they're in there. And what we're hearing, and I heard it from more than one person, is that they can detect these scales without the shell around it, the scale insect itself in orange juice. How many are they finding? That's what I asked last week. And Rabbi Vaya told me they're averaging about four to six per container. So during the week, I heard that there's a gentleman in Lakewood who's working on this, and he came to some kind of interesting results, and I spoke with him. Before that, I just want to mention that Rabbi Vaya said the two ways that we could be safe with, from insects if we're interested, if we're concerned about this. I mean, you may have a rub who says that this is not an issue, but if you're concerned about this problem, then of course you can make your own orange juice. Just be careful not to get the skin in there. But what they're doing commercially is... They're producing the whole thing at once, throwing the whole orange in, and it's separated somehow in the process. Just the way they take an egg, I don't know if you've ever seen it, but they take a whole crate of eggs and throw it into a machine with the shells and all, and the machine separates through some centrifugal force, separates the, uh, the, the yolk and the, uh, the, the, the albumin and the, and the white and the, and the red, the, the yellow, from the, from the uh, shell, the shell goes out one side and the other stuff goes another way. And that's how people buy eggs that have already been opened. Uh, commercially, that's the way most people go today. And uh, it's a question for, the, uh, for checking for the, uh, the blood stropping. That's a topic. If anyone wants, we'll talk about it. But it's, it's not a major issue. Anyway, there you see that they can separate the, uh, the egg itself from its shell. The same thing is done with the orange juice. They can separate the orange juice from the skin. However, they're doing it in the liquid, and therefore the scales come off into the liquid. Now, what this gentleman, what Rabbi Vaya said is, if you prepare your own and just careful, you wouldn't have any problems. However, if you're buying orange juice like everybody else in the world, right? Uh, our day when we were kids, we all made orange juice the way we're saying now, because the orange juice wasn't that great that you bought in the stores. It didn't last very long. It didn't taste very good. And so, therefore, we used to make our own orange juice. You took a, an orange, cut it in half. There's a little uh, piece of uh, a glass thing or a plastic thing. You put the orange on and you squeezed it, and it took most of the juice out, and the pulp remained there, and you threw the pulp away. 
those days we didn't care, it wasn't so expensive, etc. But now an orange is going for 79 cents. A 79 cents orange, you're going to take a few oranges to make a little cup of orange juice. It's, it's, it's becoming expensive already. So in, when you buy orange juice from the store, Rabbi Vaya said you could put it through a strainer. Uh, now, they do sell these things commercially, and the strainers have different sizes. It's called mesh. That's an English word, and you can find it uh, discussed in any book or on the Internet, wherever you want. And the mesh, for the, how far the lines are away from each other, how, how much space there is in between. So Rabbi Vayef said last week that a 70 mesh should work. Um, however... In the course of the week, I spoke to this gentleman in Lakewood, and he told me that he has actually been doing experimentation with a major orange juice company, and he shared with me his findings, which I'm going to briefly tell you. And he was using a 70 mesh, because the next size up is 110, which is very, very tight, and almost nothing goes through there. So you, you couldn't work well with that for your own home would be a, be a little bit unrealistic. So what he was, he's looking into now is other sizes, an 80 and a 90, and uh, he'll be setting that up very soon. I, we discussed how he could go about that quickly and hope he does it quickly. But anyway, back to the 70 mesh. So what he did is he had the 70 mesh. He put it on his, uh, put the, he put the orange juice through it, he collected whatever was there, and then he examined and looked for the scales, and, and sure enough, he found them. But here's how he did it. He said, I want to find out what percentage of, um, of cups of orange juice will I get that happen to have a scale in it. And we're talking about the real scale itself, not the outer shell, the actual bug. So he said... Uh, do every, every experiment, whatever every request he had, an investigation he had, he determined that the average person uses a seven-ounce cup, and the seven-ounce cup maybe they'll fill it up to six ounces. Doesn't go over the top. So let's say six ounces. That's the average serving, and he decided to find out how many times would there be an insect, the scale, in that cup of orange juice. So the findings were, unfortunately, very serious. This is what the man told me. He said he found 50% or more of the time. In other words, 50, more than 50% of the time, he would get one bug in one cup. Now, I did my little arithmetic, and if you take six ounces uh, for a serving, or even seven ounces, and you find out how many is in a 64-ounce uh, cup, a uh, system of four ounce uh, cotton, so your answer is going to be nine. So there are approximately nine servings there, which means that he was finding at least four, five, six insects per container, which is exactly what Rabbi Vaya said between four and six. So it, it seems that that was the number. But here is the scary part. This is the thing that I have to report this week because it's a change from what we said last week. Otherwise, I wouldn't bother bringing I don't like to make uh, people nervous unnecessarily. Uh, but this is the information that he shared with me. He used a 70 mesh. And it, indeed, it trapped the insects in it. But then he, what he did is he, he, put a, uh, he poured uh, orange juice from the container into a cup. Then he poured that into a strainer. And he saw if there's any insects. And he's getting... More than 50% of the time, he was getting insects in per cup. Which is, by the way, if you, I don't know if you realize it, because you're not in, the, in, in this area, but that is considered a big, uh, a big coolie he was trying to create. Because a lot of people would say, you're going to go on the, how many, if, if a whole container had one. And he's saying, no, the container would have to have, you know, five for container to be to be a, a problem at least for muksik betoyloyim for mir hamatsui all a few of them in there for sure is going to be a problem. Mir hamatsui would would be even one in the container, but he was finding he said you know approximately each cup, uh, half I'm sorry half of the number of more than half of the number of cups he found one or more. He didn't look past that. 
here's the scary part. When he took that, when he finished taking the uh, straining out and examining and looking for those bugs in this stuff that was on the top, then he took the, the, the orange juice that went through the strainer and poured it through again. And this time, he also found some of the scales, which means that they got through the first time, which means that a 70 mesh is not good enough. Now, I discussed with him there's a possibility it'll be good enough in certain ways, but right now, we don't have a number. And I said to him, you have to communicate with Rabbi Vaya, which he did. And as I understand, although I, didn't, I wasn't at any of these programs, but as I understand, Rabbi Vaya switched what he's saying from what he told us, that 70 mesh is acceptable, to saying it needs to be determined. So we don't have a real answer, unfortunately. End of story. I don't want to go into it. And you can ask me questions. I'm not going to be able to answer. And I can't tell you who this gentleman is. I don't want to make any, you know, get people mixed into anything. Uh, you discuss it with your own rough. End of story. Now we're going to a different topic completely. It seems that uh, the, two, the two things that caused me to talk about this topic tonight, one was that somebody comes up to me in, uh, in shul, before davening, after davening, not during the davening, before davening, after davening, uh, invariably he has a, something that he wants to share with me. And he asked me specifically to talk about this topic tonight. And uh, there was an incident that occurred recently that also caused me to think about this topic. So I did a little research on it. I'm going to share with you what I'm interested in talking about now. And I'd like you to comment on this topic with any questions you have, and you can call us whenever you want at the studio number is 718-683-5858, or you could text me at 347-927-8398. You can call 718-683-5858, but we only want to talk right now. We'll open it up in 15 minutes, but right now I only want to talk about this topic, which is yeshivas and camps, whether they or what's the story with that? And I'll see in a second why. Recently, one of the yeshivas in our neighborhood, had a, which had a mashkiach, a yeshiva, which had a mashkiach, let the mashkiach go. And the reason they let the mashkiach go is because they said, we have now a Shomish Shabbos cook. We don't need a mashkiach anymore. And this yeshiva serves hundreds of people. So one of our yeshivas in our neighborhood, Brooklyn area here, is had a mashkiach, let him go, because they said we have now a Shomish Shabbos cook, we don't need a mashkiach anymore. And that's his story, his problem. But the question is, are they right? Are they right in doing that? That's the question we have. The second part of it is we're saying, in a camp, in a camp we have plenty of Shomish Shabbos people running around, we have the owner of the Shomer Shabbos, all the counselors and the, the Rabbonim and the who knows what. I mean, there are plenty of things, plenty of from people in the camp. And even in the kitchen, you may have a from person or two. Does it need a mashkiach? Is a mashkiach in camp somebody that's important? So that's the question we want to deal with. And then it ties into our role as parents. Do we have to approach the yeshiva or the camp and ask anything? And what are we going to ask them? everybody's a cautious expert. Do we know? And do we even know what goes on in that kitchen over there? So what in the world we expect to say, to even think about? But let me go back and give everything a little perspective. First of all, we'll start with the home. We all know that in our own home, it's very simple. We know where the milchik silverware is. We know where the fleshik silverware is. And we know that we want to milk into our cereal, or we want to put the, the flasics in the, the soup here, and we know you have to use that spoon. And that's what we know. We know when we, and when we're finished, we know where to put them. We know where we put the dirty uh, milchics and where we put the dirty flasics. If you have two dishwashers, you know which one is which. If you have two microwaves, you know which one is which. If you have par, you know what that is. We're, it's a very, it's like they say, a no-brainer. Everybody really knows it. And yet, even in the house, there are so many interesting questions that come up. On this radio show, we discussed not too long ago about somebody who I know very well who went to a store 
and he bought something. He bought it. He thought it was parva. He had been buying that thing parva in the store for years, and now he cooks back home with a milchika one, and he uses it in cooking his fleshiks. And he contacted me. Does he have to inform the people who ate in his house that they ate not kosher? That's a from home, and that, and that's real life. Nobody is exempt from it. Mix-ups, sure. I just had the other day, I always get these showers, but I just had the other day where, you know, one of the kids, uh, you know, somebody contacted me with one of the kids throwing something into the, uh, in, in, uh, that was, it, they went into the uh, sink. And it, it hit the drain board, it was hot, it was hot flashics. It hit a milk drain board, there other things over there, and the question was, now it's, it's, it's clearly shown, and it was spilled on there, what's din? And we go through the whole halacha with them, whatever we come out with, I'm not going to discuss tonight. And I get these constant shilas that occur. And you know, it's just the same in a camp or a yeshiva. There's workers. There's plenty of workers. The kids are like the workers. And, and here in a house, we have no mashkiach. Nobody says they get a mashkiach. It's not, it's not practical. The father's mashkiach, mother's mashkiach, sometimes the kids are the mashkiach, but whatever it is, we do the best we can. Yet, when you come to something like a yeshiva or a camp, where there are many workers there, where they have a milchika section and a fleshika section, and sometimes they have to work on both at the same time, because they're doing lunch and they're doing supper. They're preparing the supper already, and they're serving the lunch. And they go back from one side to the other, and they're non-Jews, most of the workers. Or if they are Jewish, they may not be religious or may not be educated, or they may be old and not capable of being aware of everything. Whenever the deal is, we have a situation which presents itself. There are deliveries. There's, there's hafrashah schala. There are the eggs themselves, if you check the eggs. And there's, there's countless things that go on in the kitchen that need a set of eyes. Can the cook do it? Sometimes the cook is working so hard at the stove they really can't even concentrate all on anything else in the building, and they're not—they're not on the floor where they're where where they, they're setting up the the silverware for the for the dinner hour, and they're not aware if uh, if somebody picked up a piece of silverware and and put it in the wrong place, or they served something, or they brought something in of their own, or they were eating something while they're cooking, or who knows whatever it is. You, the, there's so many parts to watching a kitchen that it does pay if you can afford it. I mean, that's the question of money also. But if you can afford it, it does pay to have a mashkiach in a yeshiva kitchen, as far as I'm concerned, and certainly in a camp. In a camp, it's even more likely to be a problem for two or few re- three reasons. One, a camp is only two months long. The staff in the camp very often changes every year. I remember when I was visiting, I was in a yeshiva camp one time, and they was in the kitchen, and sure enough, uh, somebody uh, pointed out to me the, uh, n- the new worker that they had as a dishwasher. <laughs> they didn't have real dishwashers. They had dishwashers, mean a person washing the dishes. He had just gotten out of jail recently, like, like last week or something, and he got this job right away. It's first opportunity. So that's who they had working there. And who knows what else you have in such a place in a kitchen like that. And then it's a, it's a short-term thing, thing. They don't get into, a, into, a, into some kind of um, regular routine where they can hop, this is the way we have to do it, this is the way we have to do it. A lot of times people tell me, that when they go to uh, an affair, they're making a affair, let's say for a, a caterer, it makes an affair. So it takes a few days of preparation. So very often they have to spend a whole day educating those workers on what is kosher because they don't comprehend it. And if we're dealing with this kind of a worker in the summer camp, and if we're dealing with, uh, it's only a short time he's there, he may not even be there for the whole summer. And uh, we, it's very hard to, uh, to conduct that without a mashkiach eyes and ears, being aware of everything that's going on. That's, that's what I've seen over the years, and I've heard all the stories from the mashkichim in the yeshivas and the mashkichim in the, in the camps, and it's a very, very important issue. 
which I would like to he- uh, hear from you what your feeling is. This is a sort of a debate. Is it something that we should be requiring, a mashkiach in a kitchen, in a yeshiva kitchen? Is it something that should be required, a mashkiach in a summer camp? And is that mashkiach what they call a working mashkiach, which means that he has to cut the potatoes and he has to do this and do that and do a regular working job and just sort of also keep his eyes open or at least be the answer man for anybody who's asking, is there a mashkiach? Or is he supposed to really be on top of what's going on, the eyes and the ears of a Rav HaMashiach? So that's the question. If you'd like to call us at 718-683-5858, if you have a story, experience, or a problem in, the, in this area, please call us at 718-683-5858, or you can text us at 347-927-8398. So far, nobody has called, and we're going to go on with this topic. I want to share with you some words from a description of a camp. Now, this camp is not a camp where most of us, uh, see if somebody is calling in now. I, I, I don't, this is not a camp where most of, of our listeners would send their children, yeah. as you might see a little long, later along. But it describes a little bit what the job is of the mashkiach in the camp. The, the mashkiach has to be present at all kitchen, in the kitchen while all meals are prepared and served. He has to enforce the kashva standards of the kashva agency that's certifying the camp. He has to check and prepare the food items, including certain vegetables like lettuce, etc. He has to clean them. He has to check them. That's ours. He has to help out in the kitchen when appropriate, when he's needed, and we understand, they, even if he's not a working mashkiach in that sense, but he definitely has to, has to help out, that's for sure. He has to turn on the ovens and the stoves, and the, lighting the pilot lights. He has to check all the products that get, get delivered by the vend, food vendors and make sure they're kosher, make sure they have symbols on them, because a lot of times they don't have the symbols on them, and they're not really kosher, they came from another place. I hope to read you a story about that that the Star K publicized. Washing of lettuce checking eggs for blood, they have to kasha utensils sometimes, they have to uh, pots and pans and silverware, and they have to make sure that the pots and the pans and everything have proper paint on it or identification that their, their meat or their dairy or their parava, and you have to constantly check that because a lot of times it's a paint or a sticker and it gets worn off or it comes off, and, and then the workers don't know which it is. So sometimes you think it's this color, you don't realize which part it is. Very, very, very important. I saw some examples of this which were very embarrassing where people really could hardly tell that the product, that the, the utensil was dairy or flaschics. You have to also train the kitchen staff and the dining room staff in the issues of kashras. Open and close the kitchen every day. So these are quite a few things that the mashkiach has to do. And therefore, this is an idea of what a, a mashkiach would do in a summer camp. Okay, we'll take a caller. Go ahead. You're on Kashrus on the air. Can we help you? Yeah, how are you? I you agree wanna, everything what you're saying is right. Hello? Yeah, hello? Yeah, you're on the air. I agree everything you're saying is right, but um, even if you have Jewish worker, a Jewish chef, you still have to have a mashkiach there. That's my feeling. Why do you and say I, that? Because the mashkiach can't be a chef and look around everything they do. Right. It's a, it's a very uh, unrealistic thing for the chef. Again, it depends. If you have like a head chef and he's walking around all the time, so he could be the mashkiach. But if, if he's going to be working right there at the stove, right there dishing out the food, right there at that spot, he cannot be in any other place at the same time. It's, it's a very demanding job, the chef. That's why they're paid very well. So I agree with you. Yeah, okay. Thank you for the call. Bye. Okay. Uh, let me ask you, Rabbi. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, we know, we know from the yeshiva, basically, that you have one chef and other workers, and they somehow manage it. So even even a mashgiach, it cannot be all the time in the same place, you know, especially with a big yeshiva, big institute that you have like 2,000 uh, kids right. or 2,000 lunches. And it's it's really a tough uh, profession because I know some person, I know person that is a chef in yeshiva, 
and he's very, very mockpit on the, the workers, and they find them if they see something wrong with the, what they're doing over there. And there is and no mashgiach there. It's no mashgiach. He's the mashgiach. He's, he's the mashgiach. Yeah. So, but you see, this is one of the things, Nisim, that, that is important. We didn't really discuss it, but it's the, the, there are two parts to this. One is the quality of the individual. Is he qualified to be both the mashgiach and the chef? And the second thing is, what's the system? If the system is set up well, and if he is the kind of person who can do that job, actually have both jobs at the same time, I can hear it could be done. But it also has a lot to do with size and the, the pressure, the lachats that exist in that place. Sometimes the lachats and the pressure and the size makes it almost impossible because a football field, nobody can see one end to the other. It depends what kind of a setup you have. If, it, if the setup is good, if the person is good, I can hear that maybe he could double, uh, double up. But not if he isn't the kind of person who can do it, and not if the setup is not such, and not if they didn't work out a system. I, everything will be okay, don't worry, don't worry I'll take, I'm taking care of everything. That doesn't work. <laughs> you that's, know what? That's, but <laughs> that's looking for trouble. I think that uh, it's looking for trouble for any, any place that basically that uh, you did. And I said all the time, it doesn't matter what action you have, what it, it depends on the individual. Right. That the person that are really in charge in the kitchen or the, the person that are in, uh, I would say that the owner, what, what, what kind of Yerat Shamaim is. You know, because we saw so many places that, okay, Yebe Seda, Yebe Seda, don't worry, don't worry. I am, you know, I have the picture of the Baba Sali, I have this, you know, here. Yeah, and on the wall. <laughs> on the, the wall, wall, you know, with this. I had a horror story. I tell you, I had a horror story from from waiters and uh, people that are coming uh, and telling me the story what what's going on in uh, some places, and it's really scary to to eat there. Right. Let me share with everybody a story that uh, got me started in this whole issue. It goes back over thirty years, and uh, at that time there was a yeshiva, not more than a minute's walk from here. And the yeshiva uh, had, at that time, no mashkiach. And in those days, as of date as well, they were getting government food. And today, they have a program called 613 where the yeshiva's worked out, and hopefully things are in order, they're getting it controlled. But in those days, every yeshiva had to be, make, this, make Shabbos fazich. They had to decide whether or not the food that was coming in from the government was able to be used. It saved them thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars, which, of course, they needed to be able to continue. So they took the government food, served the government food. But here's the story that happened. One time, the government delivered potatoes. And there was no mashkiach. And it was served at night to the boys who stay over at night, the ones who are the best learners, the ones who stay 24 hours a day in the yeshiva. Not the ones who go home at night, but these were the boys out of town, serious learners and base medrash. These were the boys who were there and ate the supper with these potatoes. And it wasn't until the next day that somebody discovered that these potatoes have lard in them. That's beef fat. Beef fat in the potatoes. They never thought it was going to happen. They thought it was a plain potato. But sure enough, it was Treif Gummer. The Rosh Hashiva said, that's it. Mashkiach must be there tomorrow. And that's how they started to have a Mashkiach in the kitchen. Of course you had a from workers. And of course there were from people constantly going in and out. But they weren't attuned to this kind of a problem. You have to be trained. You have to know what you're looking for. If it's the chef, so Zionist is a chef, but he's got to be trained. There has to be a system. He's got to have be trained by people. Somebody has to work in it. You can't assume, ah, he's a frummer, a vaste. A vaste that he wants to do it right. He knows he wants to do it right, but he may not know all of the ins and the outs. You know, many times I speak to people who can't read English well, and, and, they're, and they're mashkichim or rabbanim machshirim. I said, how do you read the labels? No, no, I give it to somebody else. If they remember to give it to somebody else, there's a delivery now. There's no one to give it to. Can you, do you understand what's here? Are you sure you know what it is? We have the people making mistakes in their own homes. We need somebody trained, somebody capable.
I want to share with you a story, uh, not a story, actually. I could have that too, but I'd like to share with you what the Rabbanut in Eretz Israel said. This goes back to 2011. I don't know what they're doing Maisa today in Eretz Israel, but Rafi Yochai, who is the head of the department of Kashrus in Israel, where they look over the mislabeled and unauthorized and all that stuff over there, my chaver in there, there's somebody that I know and I've met, and he, what he does is he works for the government, reporting on the mistakes that occur, and working with them to try to, uh, to change it. So Rafi says, Rafi Yochai said, that the, what we have to have is we have to have mashkichim in the yeshivas. This is what he said. The Rabbanut decided to obligate the yeshivas to hire a certified mashkiach to be in the kitchen at all times because they were getting complaints from people, from students, and from the families about problems in the kitchen that are not being dealt with properly. So they decided that the Rabbanut wanted to clamp down on the yeshivas. So the yeshivas said, first of all, the Rosh Hashiva is in charge. So Rafi said, the Rosh Hashiva is Talmud Chacham, but he's not involved in Kashrus. And then they said, you know, we can't afford it. But he said, but for this thing, you have to afford it. So, so this was a debate that was going on in 2011. So he asked the, they asked the, the people asked the question, can the yeshivas and the society they're in teach and inculcate in the students the need for Mahadran standards and insistence on proper supervision while at the same time refusing to implement the same on themselves. In other words, you're telling the boys only by Hamish, and then you're running the, 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 the kitchen of the yeshiva in a way that it's not Hamish. That's the question, that's the challenge. I don't have an answer, and people are not calling in, so we're going to go on to any questions. You can call now. Any questions, 718-683-5858. We'll talk about your topics, or you can text us, at 347-927-8398. Once more, 718-683-5858. Open phones to talk about any issue of Kashrus that you're interested in. Before we get any callers, I just want to take a minute off to uh, talk a little bit about Glotmart, which is conveniently located at 1205 Avenue M, where where in Glotmart you get price, service, convenience, and quality, and they have some great items on sale at every time. Right now, you can get, I'm uh, not now, tomorrow, I'm sorry, Wednesday, you can get Beigel's chocolate or cinnamon pinwheels at $3.49, Kedem tea biscuits, except the uh, sugar free, at $0.43. Cents. Yes, that's for the whole package, $0.43. Cents. Snapple teas, the 64 ounce, are $1.99. Unger's pizza dough, two pounds, at $3.99. Family packed filet steak, $8.99 a pound. And first cut brisket, twelve ninety nine a pound. These are just some of the items that they're going to have on sale. There are approximately 50 items on sale every week. And also you can save some time if you come in, and it's convenient also to come into Glotmart from the East 12th Street entrance and park your car there with the valet parking service. You just, they'll have it ready for you when you come out uh, to, get, uh, to get your car with all your wonderful items you purchased in the store. And at Glotmart, the quality of the meats is A1. With kosher certification from both the Star K and the Vatikashas of Flatbush, with Basio Safe Meats and with expert Nikor, at Glotmart, you're getting quality kashras. Glotmart is at 1205 Avenue M. Meeting your shopping needs is their top priority. If you meet Dove in Glotmart, tell them you heard about Glotmart on Kashras on the Air over J Root Radio. I want to just tell our listeners before we start back to other topics that uh, I promised you that when we have a deal on J-Deal, which we do have just started today, on J-Deal you can get Kashrus Magazine for an entire year, a $25 value for $15. You can do it on J-Deal or you can call us up at 718-336-8544 and we'll give you the same deal. 718-336-8544. 718-336-8544. Write it down, 718-336-8544. Or 
you can email us at kashrus, that's K-A-S-H-R-U-S, at, a- at AOL.com. Again, kashrus, K-A-S-H-R-U-S, at AOL.com. Just give us uh, some information and we'll contact you. And it's going to cost you $15 for an entire year. If you bought it in the store, it would cost $39.10. That's what it adds up to. For the year, it includes the kosher supervision guide, the new one that's coming out in September, which will be 200 pages to over 1,300 cashless agencies worldwide. That's included for this $15. You, which costs, it costs $12 in the store. If you buy that alone, it's going to cost you $12, just that book. But it's included in your subscription. You'll also get every issue during the year. There are five issues of the Cautious Magazine. You get the Kosher Travel Guide issue, which is 138 pages. Uh, that will come to you as well. So you get everything that's a $39.10 value for $15. You can get it now as long as the J deal is running. So that's call us at 718 718- 336 8544 or email us at kashrus, K A S H R U S, at AOL.com and uh, just tell us you want the J deal or the J root deal, whatever it is, and we'll take care of it for you as long as that uh, is going to run at J deal. So without further ado, we, we're asking if you want to call in. No one seems to be calling yet. 718-683-5858. Take advantage. You can talk about any topic. 718-683-5858. Or you can text us at 347-927-8398. And if you just want to call back, just call up to tell us some feedback on, on things that we've had on the show or ask any questions at all, even about the show, you can do that now. So far, we're still, we're still here. So I'm going to share with you a, a, little, a little more on the topic of the uh, yeshivas, organ, the yeshivas having mashkichim. This is a story which, uh, which I, I... This is a story, uh, I don't have it here. Thought I had the story from Star K. The Star K has a very interesting story on there, of a of a, a gentleman who was the mashgiach inside a yeshiva kitchen, and uh, I'm sorry, a caterer, and he talks about a number of the issues that he had, which I thought was very very interesting. I'm sorry, I thought I had it with me. I don't have it with me. So I'm going to go on to a different topic unless uh, somebody calls in. Seven one eight six eight three five eight five eight. Friday night, most people are in the house and everything is good. You know, they, they daven and shul, they come home, they make kiddush, they sit down with their family, and uh, things go uh, regular. But sometimes, but I'm in a profession where people seem to come to me on Friday night. It seems more Friday night than on Shabbos during the day. And they come to the door, they knock on the door. So this is what happened Friday night. But first let me just tell you that I have a friend who is a doctor, and he says, I got the same problem, only they come to him much later at night. So I'll share with you the story. Uh, I think we'll we'll maybe hold the story a second. Does somebody want to talk? Okay. No, okay. So let's go on to the story. The story is like this. Friday night, I get a knock on the door. Somebody wants to know, you know, he... He asks me occasionally a question, and he knows that I have the magazine and that we have the radio show, and he's interested in everything we're talking about. And it seems that Erev Shabbos, just before Shabbos started, for some reason or other, they spotted something in the cholent. They weren't, they weren't uh, sure what it was, and so they picked it out and started to look at it. And they took another, and they found another one. And in the end, they found a, a bunch of these and took them out, and they couldn't figure it out. It looks like a worm. I don't know if it's a worm or not. I couldn't tell. I mean, we're sitting here, but we got, but we got this, uh, uh, we got this uh, question. 
He, he saw what he thought were worms, and he called somebody up right before Shabbos, and the gentleman said, listen, I can't tell you over the telephone, because if, it, if it's a worm, it's a, it's a, if it's a worm, it's a problem. If it's not a worm, then uh, everything's fine. So I, I can't tell you what it is over the telephone. So he came to my house. Would I come over to look at, the, at his cholent? So I told him, you know, I have a lot of people here tonight. A lot of, we had a lot of guests. I said, do you need a dafka tonight? So he said, you can come tomorrow morning. <laughs> so here I was. I go, to, I go the next morning, right after davening. I wanted to stay in shul. I didn't say good Shabbos to anybody. I walked right out the door. I came to the guy's house, go upstairs, look at me. He shows me that he has two pots. One pot, he found these possible insects in it. And the other pot, he didn't find any in. One had meat and uh, uh, some, uh, some, some flanken and, and some regular meat in there. And the other one is vegetarian. And he didn't see it in the word vegetarian. We only saw them on the meat. So maybe it's something from the meat. I said, I can't tell you. Let me see them. Put them out. In the, we took a look at them. And there's a nice number there. And he had a little teeny uh, you know, magnifying glass. It wasn't much of anything. It didn't have any power to it. And I looked at these things, and I, I couldn't tell you. I, I couldn't say what it was. So he asked, what are you supposed to do? I mean, you know, this is a challenge. He's got his family here. And what, it, what is he supposed to do? So I said, it's consistent with being insects. And he means the size and the shape. And it looks like an insect. They look the standard. They're all like about the same size. So it definitely is consistent with being insects. It may be they're not. Maybe they are. I can't tell you. I, there's no power in, the, my, in this magnifying glass. And I'm not the biggest maven in this topic anyway. But uh, I can't possibly tell him what to do. So I told him what the halacha is. And the halacha is that, of course, if it's a suffix, you know, then you can't eat it. But I don't have to throw out the cholent. I told him exactly what he could do. So let me tell you what my Rabbi Zatzal, Rav Hashem and Zatzal said. And I'll tell you the story with him. And then we'll, we'll tie it in. We'll see how we, we answer this gentleman. It seems that a woman called my Rebbe up on a weekday night. I don't know what day it was. And she asked him, you know, I had some insects in my cholent on Shabbos. And, of course, I threw out the cholent. But I want to know if I have to kasher the pot. So the Rav Zatzal said, you don't have to kasher the pot. But he didn't have to throw out the whole cholent. She said, well, she asked the shayla, and the person told her to throw out the cholent. And he said, well, listen, the halacha is the halacha. The potato, they couldn't climb into a potato. Potato, you see, it's all controlled on the outside. There's no, there's no entrance. Those insects are not swimming anymore. They've been, they've been boiled, so they, they're not swimming around, and they, and they can't get inside. They can't go inside this potato. And... The meat, you could look at it, visually inspect it. He said in those days, he said to us, wash it off. So if you washed it off, the meat and the potatoes, you could have eaten it. But you certainly don't have to kasha the pot, and you didn't have to throw out the whole cholent. So that was on Tuesday night, let's say. A day later, Rav Zimmerman gets a call from a rabbi, a well-known rabbi. I don't know who it is. And uh, he said, the rabbi said to him, Rabbi Zimmerman, what would be the halacha if a person uh, ha- cooked the soup and there were barley or beans in there in the soup and they saw insects, a whole bunch of insects in the soup? What would be the din? So Rabbi Zimmerman said the same thing. You don't have to throw it all out. If there's a potato there, you can wash off the potato. If it's a piece of meat, you could look at the meat or wash it off, whatever it is. You know, you don't have to throw it out. They're not going to go inside there. And uh, the, and the, and the pot, Rabbi Zimmerman, pot, you don't have to kosher the pot. It's kosher, no problem. But the Rav said to him, Rabbi Zimmerman, what about a birya? A birya is a whole 
bug. A birya, the Gemara says in the Shulchan Aruch says, a birya feel be eleflo bottle. A birya, a whole insect, is never bottle. It's never nullified. So he said, Enachanami. The birya is not bottle. But the tam, what comes out of the birya, is bottle. Here it's silence on the phone. Thank you very much, Rabbi Zimmerman. Which means that the Rav had made a classic error. He had confused the halacha and thought that, they, that, that the, the halacha was that the tam, the taste that comes out from an insect, makes, uh, is never bottled. And he thought that the, the keli would be treif, the food was treif, and in reality, wasn't the food wasn't treif, only that which was uh, you know, in a sauce, and you couldn't know if there's any bugs in there, that you couldn't eat. But if there wasn't a bug, you could eat it. So that was the story. So I told this gentleman the same thing with his chont. You could open it up and look inside and see what you have there. I happen to see the inside of the chonts, and they're very liquidy. I said, there's no problem. You pick up a piece of potato, you pick up a piece of meat, and you eat it. I, yeah, I won't allow you to eat all the mushy stuff in the middle. That you're right. I wouldn't allow you to eat it because... I, you have to be chayshed. You have to be concerned that maybe these are bugs. I don't know if they are. So I said, but if you want to, you can bring it to my house and we'll have somebody examine it during the week. And that's what we hope to do. So uh, that's the end of the story. And we have a caller. Go ahead. You're on Kashrus on the air. Go ahead, please. Yes. I'd like to know, what do the Kashrus agencies respond about this oranges problem? And does it apply without Paul also? With what? Without pulp? Without yes. pulp. Okay. okay, so the gentleman, if, this is what I spent time on. The gentleman in, in Lakewood told me that that's the one that he examined. The one, by the way, there's no such thing as without pulp. There's a little bit. It means, it, it says, it says on it, no pulp. But there's pulp in there for sure. It's not, that, it's not as much as in a regular, the one with, with pulp. But there's something in there. Because there are little cl- the clumps that got stuck on the... Uh, on, on the top of the uh, the mesh. But again, uh, what do the cautious agencies say? That you have to ask them. They may not have done the research yet. They may not have even heard about it. They may consider it to be, uh, th- th- these insects are too small. They may, may consider that they're not enough to be worried about. They may say that, uh, you know, it's innocent until proven guilty. They don't have enough experience and enough, uh, they haven't had a, had a chance to check it yet. So I don't know what they're going to say. I, I just know that uh, whenever these things occur, there's a time lag between when people find out about it and when the cautious agencies do something. Not every cautious agency is going to do the same thing. Each one will do whatever they feel. Maybe there's a, going to be a company. We hope there will be a company that will take responsibility to do proper filtering and to guarantee that to, close to zero uh, tolerance, and then we would all be very happy. You there? I think you left. Thank you for the call. Okay. Anybody like the call? We have uh, an open line here at 718-683-5858. So I share with you uh, one of the stories that occurred, but uh, the, the, these kinds of questions come up not just on the Shabbos. Uh, the the Tepo Lefel Shiloh come up all week long. But what we saw from this story is that you have to be open to thinking that maybe something is an insect, and yet not to throw in the towel. Examine it, you knock on somebody's door, open up the, the book for Bavaya's book, take a look at the insects, see what they look like, see what you can, you know, do, it, do the checking the way they suggest, and then you yourself will know the answer. Uh, I just had a wonderful call from a young lady who was trying to set up a program. I tried to help her set up a program where some, some young ladies are trying to, before school starts, to have a training in insect infestation checking. Uh, I sent them to a person who might be able to do it. And if anybody else, any women want to, you can contact me, and I'll give you the same contact, and maybe uh, they will, you will set up a program as well. So uh, people have to take it very seriously. I, I hope you heard last week what Roy Vaya said. One of the things that he said was it's very important for girls in Beis Yaakov to have a training in infest, infest, uh, insect infestation, how to check, 
different products, the, the fruits and the vegetables for the house. It's extremely important part of, uh, the, it should be a part of their chinuch. Like they learn hilchas basa let them learn about toiloyim and let them learn how to check for toiloyim. And it's a really a wonderful recommendation. If anybody's interested in having it in a seminary or, or in a, in a uh, high school, please contact me. I'll be able to help you set a program up for your high school or seminary. So you can call us at 718 718- 336-8544, and I'll try to help you with that. Okay, we have a caller. Go ahead. You're on Kashmir Sandia. Can we help you? Yeah, I'm sorry. My phone uh, got disconnected. Okay. I was asking you about, about the orange juice. I'd like to know, um, yeah, I hope you don't mind me asking, but what, what did you do when you found out this information about the orange juice? Oh, that's a good question. I, I uh, <laughs> on the radio, I should answer this thing to you. I didn't publicize it because it, we were hoping for a short-term solution and we didn't want to muddy the waters. And that's, mm-hmm. that's, the, that's the route that I took. Uh, I don't know it very long. It actually was said on this radio show. Uh, I don't know if you, how much you listen to us, but uh, a few weeks ago, I- Rabbi David Goldstein was on here and I asked him about the uh, the orange juice, and he answered to me that it's under investigation. And that's as far as it went. And I asked him, and he explained to me off the air a little bit about what level of investigation there was and level of concern. Again, remember, things haven't been really checked out that thoroughly. And um, so he said that uh, he's not going to make an announcement, and that that's where we left it. What happened last week was that uh, when we were preparing for this program last week, I was told to ask that question. And when I did ask it, I got the answer that I got. So that's what happened here. We didn't try to make trouble for anybody, and we didn't try to uh, avoid it. On a personal level, I haven't been using orange juice since I heard it from David Goldstein. Any orange juice at all? Wow. Um, Well, um, let me tell you something. Uh, You know... It, if 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 the, any oranges at all, what if it wouldn't be available on the shelves? You, what would happen to you? I think you've forgotten what it's like was like in uh, Russia a few years ago, where there wasn't any food, kosher or non-food, on, uh, easily available. The things weren't even being sold. There's a black market. So I I, I think that um, we're a little spoiled in America, and we do have to get used to the idea that sometimes you won't have. Just like on Shabbos you can't do everything, and on Pesach you can't do everything and eat everything, so too we sometimes have to hold back, and that's the way uh, HaKadosh Baruch Hu wants. Okay? Mm-hmm. Yes, I want, co- well, just one question. Sure. One question, please. Go ahead. Do you know any, any major Pisgim who are consulted about this yet? No. And, and, no. I, and, I, and, I, and let me ask you something. What, 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 we're gonna, what are we going to ask them? What would you ask them? If this type of if this type of insect is Shiloh, and oh. uh, okay, so that so there you can go right now, and you can look in Rabbi Vaya's book. We're selling Rabbi Vaya's book, or you can go to a store and buy it, and and you'll see Rabbi Vaya's book describes the sizes, and what's visible, and you can even go on the web and and check out what size is of something is visible, and you'll see that uh, the size that they have is visible. Now, is it big? No. Is it is it visible? Yes. Is it a concern? Oh. That's been been an issue all the time about what is the size, um, and and the cautious agencies do not always agree on what the size is. Now, some hold a small number, and some hold only a larger number, a larger size. So that's that's a that is a topic, and that's that's probably one of the ways that the cautious agencies would deal with this. Okay, one last point I wanted to ask you. I was wondering why this hasn't gotten much attention anywhere. I mean, I haven't because heard about it. Major was kept, about it. It, it was kept under rug, under the rug. It was kept out of the way because they were doing research. They didn't want to let it out earlier. Why they were willing to let it out now, I don't know. That maybe we're near a breakthrough for some company's going to get, uh, you know, the exclusive for a few weeks or months until somebody else cops it also. So I don't know. I don't know any more than I'm telling you now. And I really am not interested in that. I'm very interested in the work that is being done by this gentleman Lakewood, and I'm trying to cooperate and help him in planning how to do it in an effective way, hoping that we'll come up with a solution 
that where people could at least do something. If they want to be machmir on this, they could do it themselves easily in their home. That's the goal that I have. You mean there's no, you don't think there'll be a solution for a company product? I think there might be, but it, it, the way it seems, if it's, if it's, they have to either change the method of the crushing of the, of the oranges, or they're going to have to have some straining that might not be feasible, not because of dollars, because of the way it works. And then remember, if you, have to, if you have to filter out a significant amount of your product and some of it's lost, that's, where is it going to come in the bottom line? You're going to charge $5 for an orange juice? Who wants to pay that? All right, yes. Um, so, okay, thank you so much for your information. My, really my pleasure, it. my pleasure. Keep listening. Okay, thank you very much. Go ahead. You're on Kashmir on the air. Can we help you? Yes, I just turned it on. Well, can you tell me what the issue is with the orange juice? <laughs> well, you got to turn it on at 6 o'clock. Well, it's almost people seven. work, you know. They feel like come home. It's, it's a little after 6. I'm, I'm going to tell you a couple of secrets. Such you're not on the radio anymore. Let, listen, so. listen. We're, we're, we have to be. Let, let me tell you a couple of secrets. Yeah. And if you, if you have somebody, you yourself or somebody else does the Internet, you it's can, very hard with the archives. I tried to look no, at the archives. No, sir. It's sir, not so sir. I'll tell you what happens. The stream starts to play the music, and your talking is in the okay, background. Okay, I'll explain so to you that. Uh, as I close, no, no, I'll explain, I mean? I'll explain to you what happens. I, I, I mean, I, I don't have to tell you how to use a computer, but I, 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 I experienced it myself. When you go to jrootradio.com, right. immediately you're hearing the live stuff. Correct. If you go to the right the hand top corner where those little uh, lines are right. and you hit it, it stops. I kissed onto your picture today. Yeah, but, but you, you have to first kill the... You have to first so kill how do you kill the stream there? By hitting the little... On the right-hand side towards the top, there are two lines or whatever, and you just hit there, the red thing. I'll just push them. the red thing, and then the stream stops, and then you push whatever you want to listen in the archives. Uh. And the archives are pretty good here. They're, they're keeping up week with week with us. Very, very the next day or two, it's on. So the every you can hear Rabbi Vaya already. I, I right. heard it myself. So it's not a big you know not a big spiel to to use the internet. I want to tell you something about the, that. Uh, I'm driving myself. I put my phone and uh, you know just put it on the Bluetooth or auxiliary cable and we listen. Uh, just. But, but just, this, the archives on the telephone. On the no, 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 not on the telephone. No, no, not archive. Just no, the live. Just use the just use a telephone for live. And right. if, yeah, what I find very easy in my house. I mean, if you, I have a few lines, so you know, maybe it's different than you. But uh, if you have a few lines in your house, you could just put on uh, J root onto uh, you know uh, 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 onto speakerphone. a phone. Speakerphone. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. it's a and it's a pleasure. You can uh, 100%. go. hundred percent. That's what I do when I come home. But okay, so let me just answer right. you briefly. We we were mentioning that they're they're finding scales in orange juice. The scales are between a quarter of a millimeter and a third of a millimeter. Drop higher than that, but that's sort of where it is. And if, if you, uh, they, they finding on the, on the people that I spoke to, where if you would have one cup of orange juice and, and, another, and another cup, then you probably got one in one of those two. Now, if I make my own orange juice with a squeezed old fish, There is no you? concern. No ju- just be careful that when you cut the orange, don't cut through what the scales are. If you don't know what a scale is, look on the internet or look in the in the in, in, in Rabbi book. But a scale is like a, like a brown or a yellowish thing on the top. It's not the not when it spoils. It's an actual insect that covers itself over, and there's a bunch of them together. You'll see it. It described. It's very very easy to see. Don't cut through that, and you have no problems. Now you've seen these on oranges in the store lately. Yeah. You see them on oranges, you oh, see them on blueberries. You on see blueberries, them on I know, but on oranges, I, I, I don't really want to see them. Baruch Hashem. But they use the, the cheapest quality when they're making the juice orange, and yeah. it seems that they're finding a significant number of these. And these, what they're finding, I mean, these, the people who are doing this, first, I, I can't imagine doing such work. It's very, very hard. The but machine the pe- does it, I thought. No, but I'm saying the people who are checking it. Uh-huh, the people uh-huh. who are checking it are doing extreme work to do it, and, and they're, they're, they're consistently finding these things. Now, if I would wash the orange, the scales come off from the orange? I don't know. 
Uh, you're up okay. There, you're up there with somebody else. No problem. Okay. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Alta. Take care. I thank everybody for, for listening, and we'll j join you again next week at 6 o'clock, please, on Monday evening.